0: I was reading an article the other day about a major scientific breakthrough on the war on cancer and other diseases. And presently, things are kind of in the test stage. Scientists are creating what they call artificial DNA, which kind of mimics different kinds of diseases. And they're injecting that artificial DNA into patients. And what is happening, to the patient's immune system is able to recognize the threat all of a sudden, and it's given the body the information that it needs to eliminate the threat. And the team working on the, this project says that the initial findings are very promising and it has the potential to completely defeat cancer as well as other diseases. Friends, when I read news like that, I get excited. I, I take note uh, of that. It is a big deal, and I think part of the reason that that we take note of information like that and news like that is that we live with, whether we acknowledge this or not, we live with an understanding that we're all susceptible to to cancer and to diseases. In some shape, form, or another, we, we understand that. And so when we hear about a potential cure... It's kind of like, yay, you know, we, we want to know more about that. We've uh, been looking at our God-given DNA as Christians, as a church, and we said at the beginning of this series that one of the rules that guides us and protects our, our DNA is that we are to never, ever lose that sense of gratitude. Gratitude. For God sending his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. And that when we keep that awe, so to speak, of God's invitation to us, when we keep that front and center, when it's core to who we are, we will treat each other the way that God treated us. And it will keep us on course. As Christians and as a church, it will keep us growing. It will keep us developing, becoming who God created us to be and who's, what he's called us to be. And so that rule will guide our actions. And as we've talked about through this series, it will compel us to forgive one another, to accept one another. And as we talked last week, to carry one another's burdens And today what I want to talk about is being encouraging to one another. It is another core component of our God-given DNA as Christians and as a church, and it is core to our DNA at Faith Fellowship. And so let's just kind of jump in on this one. We're going to approach it a little bit different uh, than we have the other topics, but just come along for the ride and uh, we'll get there. The, The word encouragement as it's used in Scripture, it is actually presented as a cure for a spiritual disease. A spiritual disease that we are all susceptible to. A disease of drifting in our spiritual life. Spiritual drifting goes something like this, if you recognize it. I know the difference between right and wrong, but I do the wrong thing. And then I do it again and again. And pretty soon, am I, I'm not only doing the wrong thing, but pretty soon, I do not want to be around people that are doing the right thing. I need some distance there. And after enough time, I'm not sure that wrong is wrong. And so you've got this drift that happens. You become kind of a a mutation. You used to look like that. Now you've changed. And it's interesting to me because I don't think anybody wakes up one day and they go, you know what, I think I'm going to discard my standard of right and wrong. You know what? I think today is the day I'm throwing everything out the window. I'm going to live a different life. I'm going to believe a different way. The fact is, I've, I've talked to hundreds of people through the years. All my years of ministry, I've talked to people, and I've noticed something when they tell me their stories, they sound very, very similar. You know, they'll say things like, you know what? I I made this small moral compromise in my life. And I made it again and again and again. I I had a lapse of integrity. And then what I found over time, I didn't want to be around people that were doing the right thing. in fact... I needed a new group of friends. And then there's a point where I actually started questioning if wrong is wrong. At some point, I began to question my faith. And they end up at a point where they'll say, I'm not sure any of it's true. There's this common thread you see over and over. I mean, can you identify with that? The, the drift that happens. We, that drift does not begin with a decision. Hey, I think I'll drift. See, the drift begins when we shift in our lives... Our behavior, people think, oh, no, I shift because of my thought. No, we shift because of behavior, which happens over time. Because of our behavior, we change our thinking. And it's a disease. We've seen it. In fact, if we're all honest here, we've experienced it in our lives. in, In one area or another. It's a disease that some of you today would say, you know what, I'm dealing with that. See, I haven't changed my belief. But if I was honest with you, I believe one thing, but I'm doing another. I I know it's not right. I'm a little bit ashamed. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm involved in this relationship. I can't believe I'm doing this to close the deal. It goes against what I believe. In fact, some of you, when you hear about someone else doing the very thing you're doing, immediately you think, well, that's wrong. And then you think about it a little more, and you look at your situation, and you just kind of shake your head. How did I get here? What, what was I thinking? See, you didn't change what you believe. You made a little compromise. Compromise. Then you made another compromise, and another compromise, and you compromised your integrity. And before you knew it, at some point, you're living two different worlds. You think one thing, believe one thing, but act another way. And so there's this tension. Again, if some of you were honest right now, you would go, you know what? There's tension. In fact, I would bet for some of you that tension was such that there was a piece of you that's like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to go to church today. In fact, you're actually getting more uncomfortable at church. And friends, here's what happens when you drift. The next step is you start backing away from people. People that remind you of who you used to be. People that remind you what you ought to do or not do. And given enough time, at some point as you move away, you find an excuse to not believe anymore. And you become this mutation, what, what you used to be. And it's a spiritual disease, and it's a spiritual disease of drifting. Friends, it's it's how affairs happen. See, I have never met anybody in all my years that said, you know what, Damon? I sat down and I started doing some research on this whole topic. And I gathered all this information. And what I determined after I got all the data was having an affair makes sense. And so I jumped in. I've never had anybody do that. That's not how it starts. The fact is... It starts with an action. You know it's wrong. But then what happens is you develop a philosophy that kind of supports or you justify the lifestyle. It's the same with people that compromise in business. See, I've never met anybody that said, you know what, damn it, I did the research on this. And I've looked at the angles, and it absolutely makes sense that I should play in the gray. Now, what happened was at some point there, there was a deal. It was a little bit shady. They knew it was shady. But it offered so much, they did it. And at first, there was a tension about it. But over time, enough opportunities where they took that step And it became a standard mode of operation in their life. See, it's a disease. It sets in. It gets a hold of you. Drift, drift in your life spiritually will take you to a place where you're not sure what you believe. And what you used to believe, you're not sure it's true anymore. In fact, ultimately, if you drift far enough in your life, you will get to a place where you're not even sure what you believe. See, it's a moral drift. No foundation. At some point, you just do what you want to do. Whatever works for you. Now... It may not be in every area of your life, but it can happen in pieces of your life. And over time, you get to this place where you don't have any moral direction. We drift from the truth that we once believed. The book of Hebrews addresses this spiritual disease. Now, we are not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. I personally, uh, through all the study and stuff, would say Paul, but it could be Barnabas. Uh, some have said Luke translated from, from Apollos. Uh, there are all kinds of things. It's debatable. But what we do know about the book of Hebrews was it was written to Jewish Christians, people that had grown up in, in the Jewish law. Some of them were beginning to uh, drift back to, their, to Judaism. Some of them were drifting totally away from anything, faith altogether. They were just dismissing it. You know, they basically came to a point, and they go, Look, I, I tried Judaism. That didn't work. Tried being a Christian. That's not working either. And so they just drifted away. One of the reasons the book of Hebrews is written was to encourage them not to drift, to encourage Christians not to drift. And I'm going to start out with a solution right out of the gate. The writer writes, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And that little phrase at the beginning, see to it, is, in my opinion, a little bit soft. In the Greek, the idea is, watch out. Be on guard for anything that would tip you off, that you are beginning that process of drifting. You know, sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away, turns away. That's where we get the idea of drifting, to turn away from God. And begin to, to shift, drift. You know, the English, uh, there are uh, three basic tenses for, for verbs. It's past, present, and future. In the Greek, there actually are a few more basic uh, trans, translations or tenses for the verbs. And the verb tense for turn away, some of your versions, if you have your Bibles, you, you might notice it says falling away. It is not present, it's not past, it's not future, it's just this ongoing, it's that uh, sense you might communicate it like a, a waterfall. Think about how a waterfall works, and the water as it's moving inch by inch and foot by foot, as it's gradually making its way and gradually falling all the way to the bottom, that's the idea that they're trying to portray is that over time watch out because you might gradually fall like a waterfall away from god god might end up way off in the distance somewhere next verse it writes but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness and I want to talk about that phrase uh, just a minute, the idea of hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because this is where we're going to discover that this drifting doesn't begin with what we think. It begins with what we do. You know, the writer uh, kind of uh, personifies the, uh, uh, the idea of sin, turns it into a person almost, acts like sin's a person. And, and he says, you've got to be careful that you're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, that, that term hardened, it's found throughout uh, Scripture, the Old Testament and New Testament. It always refers to a process, a process where somebody hears the truth but ignores it. They hear the truth, they believe the truth, but they don't act on it. It's something every one of us has experienced in our life, right? I mean, you've had those times. I know I should. I know it's right. But I won't do it. I just won't. I'm going to do wrong. I I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't. I got to do it anyway. And so we ignore the truth that in our head we know is truth. In our heart we know it's truth. But we ignore it and we begin to get hardened to sin. You know what used to bother us a lot over time, have you ever noticed this? It bothers you less and less and less until finally it doesn't bother you at all. It doesn't begin with believing. It begins with behavior. It begins with drifting away. If we were to go around the room, we're not, so don't, don't get panicked but if we were to go around the room and I was to give you a mic and I said, share your story that fits here. We'd all share very similar stories. How at first, when we got out on our own, moved out from mom and dad, at first, it was a time of major transition in our life morally some of us would say it was a transition ethically in our lives and here's what's interesting again when we went out on our own we did not go out and say you know what i'm going to research christianity i'm going to research if god really is god I'm going to spend some time. I'm going, to, I'm going to study my faith. That doesn't happen. What happens is we, like, go to a party. Maybe cheat on a test for the first time. Lie to a boss. Play in the gray. Pick your poison here, all right? But whatever it was... At first, you thought, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. In fact, I feel a little bit guilty. I know I shouldn't, or I know I should. And then you start surrounding yourself with people that will go, Hey, it's okay, it's not a deal. And you distance yourself from people who are going to step into you and say, you know, I'm not sure you should do that. And then because you're such an intellectual and honest person, you get to a point and you go, you know what? I don't think I really believe that's wrong. Not because we've researched it, not because we've studied it, But it's after the behavior change in our lives that we come to a point and we make a decision. And then what happens is we build or we come up with an intellectual argument to kind of support the behavior change in our life. Does this make sense? I mean, it's how it happened for some of you. I mean, sure, now maybe you can spend hours and hours arguing your point of why you are where you are. But you arrived here, and it all began with behavior. And I just want to challenge all of us this morning to at least be honest with with yourself today about how you arrived where you are. It began with behavior it was not an intellectual decision to arrive here. You know, for example, you're going to church, wanting to do the right things. And then this can happen at church, by the way. You meet that guy or that girl. Right? Now, oh, singles go, really? It could happen here. Yeah, yeah, it could. But you meet that person, your heart starts beating fast. And before long, what happens is you start making these small moral compromises. Then you make another and another. Then you start surrounding yourself with people that are doing the same thing. And then you start pulling back from people that are not okay with it. Now you would argue, I'm not sure it's wrong, whatever it is but it all started with behavior. See, it's the deceitfulness of sin that the writer's talking about. Friends, we could go on and on all morning. We could just take different topics, different examples, and the same thing happens. It's the same drift. And the question is, what changed your mind? It's the deceitfulness of sin. See, you think you're in control. You think you're making this intellectual decision. Friends, you're deceived. That's how sin works. You know, we've, uh, we've all uh, heard about uh, Stockholm Syndrome. You know, it's where a person's kidnapped or uh, abducted. They're taken captive. And after time, what happens sometimes is they begin to accept their captor they actually begin to empathize with them. They're willing to go along with whatever the rules are. And at some point, they're actually willing to stay in captivity without being held in captivity. I mean, it's a very sad thing, very, very, very tragic, very tragic. But friends, in a real way, That's what sin will do to you. It will take you captive until finally you start redefining right and wrong in your life so that you can stay where you are. Everyone in this room is susceptible to the disease of drifting. Everyone. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm susceptible. Come on, enthusiasm. All right, now turn to your neighbor and say, you're seriously susceptible. (laughs) Friends, the way back, the way to avoid drifting, it's core to our God-given DNA, Christians. It's core to our God-given DNA as a church. And the way back is to encourage one another. Christians, church, encourage one another. This is powerful stuff. But encourage one another daily. I mean, it it sounds like an oversimplification, I mean, how could encouraging one another restore what has been done in our lives or undone? I mean, how could encouraging one another help us get back on track and get back from here to there? See, it's possible because encouragement is bigger. It is way bigger than what you're thinking. When we hear encourage, we think, you know... Go get them, tiger. You know, way to go. You're looking good today. You can do it. I know you can. But the word encouragement, as it's used in the Greek, as it's found in the Bible, as it's found in Greek literature, it means to urge, to exhort. To sometimes, I mean, it means you beg, you plead. It's like a, a cheerleader. Cheerleader. Cheerleaders don't stand on the sidelines and go, go guys, you can do it, hope you make it, go guys, go. They don't do that, do they? We got any cheerleaders in the house? <laughs> I mean, cheerleaders give a thousand percent, don't they? They're, they're full of energy. You know, they're cheering about what needs to happen. You know, for instance, if you're, if you're uh, playing basketball, the basketball team's got the ball. Now, I need you to help me, okay? Dribble. Oh wow, we're gonna have to work here. All right, all right. You, everybody, been to a basketball game before? All right, all right. Dribble, shoot, take the ball to the hoop. Dribble, shoot. Take the ball to the hoop. hoop. Wow, we're going to work here one more time. Dribble. Dribble. Shoot. Shoot. Take the ball to the hoop. hoop. (laughs) Cheerleaders aren't playing the game, right? They're giving instructions. They're motivating. They're alongside. They're involved. They're saying, you know what? We're behind you. I'm with you. In this, The Hebrew writer is saying, I want you to be a community. Church, I want you to be a community of cheerleaders. I want you to be people that are involved in each other's lives. You know, I want you to be a community where there is constant encouragement going on and exhorting and pleading and begging and warning and stepping into people's lives. I mean, on and on and on. It's not just a generic cheer, but it is a cheer that's focused on what's going on because I know what's going on in your life. And so I'm exhorting you and encouraging you. And it is very, very specific. In fact, if I need to, I will beg you. Friends, that's what we're called to do as a church it's part of our God given DNA as Christians. It's part of our God given DNA as a church. We are to be a community of encouragers. But encourage one another when? Daily. It doesn't say but encourage one another on Sundays only. I want you to hear this because we've got to get this as a church. We cannot encourage one another if we do not know what's going on in each other's lives. I mean, God's word says daily. In other words, we are to be in a relationship with a few other Christians, a few other followers of Jesus Christ to such a level And here's the key, that a few people know what's going on in your life so that they can cheer for you. They can cheer for you play by play, illness by illness, disappointment by disappointment. Temptation by temptation, challenge by challenge, whether it's a parental challenge uh, with a prodigal child or a financial challenge or a vocational challenge, whatever it is, Christians, we are to be connected so that whatever is going on in our lives, that there's somebody there encouraging you, exhorting you, pleading, begging, holding you accountable, Encourage one another daily. It's part of our God-given design. And the reason why is that when you have a challenge in your life, anybody got challenges today? When you have a challenge, you got somebody behind you. You got somebody in front of you. You got somebody beside you. And they're encouraging you. Encourage one another. This one principle is embedded in our DNA. And that one principle has the potential to undo, to redo, to prevent the disease of spiritual drifting. It really does. I mean, look at this warning. The writer goes on, says, we've come to share in Christ. In other words, we're partners in Christ. We're connected to each other. If indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the end, the idea that we are companions in Christ We're part of the body, like we talked about last week. We're part of the body. We're part of the church. And as long as you hold on to the foundation of Jesus Christ, as long as you remain steadfast in what you believe. But friends, when you drift so far, you'll lose sight of that foundation. And when your relationship with Jesus Christ drifts far enough away, At some point, something snaps. I mean, you're drifting morally. You're drifting in terms of your integrity. You get to a certain point, and it just gets severed. And when that happens, you have no bearing, no mooring uh, on your own. I mean, some of you know what this is like. I mean, maybe outside, everybody looks and they go, oh, it looks like everything's great. But inside, you're confused. So you're working your job, got your family, got your relationships. But inside, you know that you've lost your footing. I mean, inside you know there's no foundation anymore. You're just kind of floating on your own ideas, your own values. Friends, you're, you're drifting. And I want you to think about this. I mean, if you've drifted, how did you get all the way over here from there? How did it happen? You used to be over there, how'd you get here? I will bet you, it began with behavior. And friends, today God's offering you a way back. And the way back is in a relationship with him and in a relationship with other Christians. Ask all the hard questions you want, that's fine. Study, grow. It's a safe place to live over there. But if you're standing here, no relationship with God, no relationship with other Christ followers, it is dangerous here. It is very dangerous. Because if you're wrong, you will go down. You'll go down relationally, Morally, financially, vocationally, heart, soul, mind. If you live your life over here, trying to figure things out on your own, friends, you might end up spending an eternity separated from God. Standing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Standing on the foundation that God has given. Standing there, it is much safer. I mean, we make mistakes. But standing there, it's safer than being disconnected way over here. You got to get that. And here's the application. I mean, it's simple. You turn toward God. You turn back toward God. You start moving back that direction. You ask God for forgiveness, and he'll forgive you. But then, you got to make a point of getting connected to other Christians, other Christ followers. See, sitting here listening to a message like we're doing right now, it won't do it. Reading books... Even Christian books won't do it. Even studying the Bible will not do it. Now, don't misunderstand me. Those things are good. They will help you. Absolutely. But what you need more than anything in your life is a group of Christian brothers and sisters that you're in a relationship with that will cheer for you. You know, that is encouraging you and begging you and pleading with you and exhorting you at those critical points in life. And they come often, those critical points along the way, where you need that cheerleader. Where you can talk about the challenges and the struggles that you're having at work or at home, or in your marriage, or with your health. Those challenges that you're having with the kids, or your finances. It is something to have people that are challenging you, and praying for you, and encouraging you. And the question is, do you have that? Because if not, you're going to be in trouble. See, it's not what you believe that will keep you from drifting. It's are you connected? Are you connected to the body of Jesus Christ, the church? Are you connected to a few other Christ followers that will encourage you and keep you in check and love you enough to step into your life once in a while and say, you know what, this doesn't look good. That's why we're always encouraging you in this church to get in a small group. You know, get, a, get on a ministry team and serve on, on Sunday morning with s- some other people or get in a life group. Get in where you get to know a few other Christians and so that you're doing life with them. Anybody tracking you in your life? Anybody on the sidelines watching you? Anybody cheering for you? Seriously, anybody doing that for you? Because if not, it is just a matter of time, and you're going to drift, and you'll become a mutation. You're part of the body of Jesus Christ. You're part of the church. Again, it's not about the strengths of your convictions you can have all the convictions in the world. It's about the strength of your connections with one another. And as you allow God to connect you with other Christ followers, it will strengthen you. And I know, yes, it's scary sometimes getting to know people. It's uncomfortable sometimes, especially at first. But what you find as you connect you find out that people are dealing with some of the same stuff that you're dealing with. And you find that they will cheer you and they'll encourage you and they will protect you from that spiritual drift. And they'll bring you back from the disappointments in life. And they'll pick you up when you crash and burn. They'll help you overcome those failures in your life so faith fellowship church christians this is to be a community of encouragers it's what we're called to be It is in our God-given DNA. We were created by God for that purpose. We are called by God to be givers and receivers of encouragement. And so I say, let us encourage one another. We need to be about it. We need to be doing it. And we need to make it core to who we are. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Our holy God... God, I pray that uh, this church that it'll become known for being encouragers. God, I pray that we would encourage one another, that we would cheer for one another, that we would plead and beg if necessary, that we would be so involved in each other's lives that it would just be another form of protection to keep us on track, to keep us rolling when sometimes we're just so discouraged and we're not sure we can take another step, that we would be there uh, every aspect of life. Loving each other, praying for each other. God, I pray this would be a community of encouragers. God, I thank you for the encouragers in my life, people that bold enough to step in at different points. Love me enough to say, hey, what, what is going on? God, I thank you for those people that were cheering those times when just exhausted. I wasn't sure I could take another step. God, I pray that we would uh, be the body that you've called us to be. We'd be the church you've called us to be. God, open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to give and receive encouragement. We give you the glory. We give you the praise this day and every day. God's people sin.